So those, uh, those two things that we've seen as we begin this morning taught us about uh, the complexity of family life these days and how sadly sometimes families break down or break apart for whatever reasons. And our families are central to who we are. They, they form who we are. They are one of the central building blocks for our lives. So when they don't work as they should or they break apart or things go wrong, that can lead to really significant impact on our lives, on the lives of our children, on the lives of our families, of our parents, of our grandparents, and so on and so forth. And of course, families don't just break down at the level of mum and dad, as we saw in those two things. They, they break down all kinds of levels, between two uh, married partners, between parents and children, between uh, children and grandchildren, between uncles and aunts, brothers and sisters, and so on and so forth. And what we learn from our families and how our families are carries through into the rest of our lives. When we grew up, how our families handled love, responsibility, independence, guilt, physical affection, finances, punishment, trust, and so on, affects who we are now. And all of those things combine into some kind of relational matrix that can't help but affect who we are and how we behave. It affects who we choose as friends, how we do friendship, who we're attracted to, who and how we go out with someone, and how and who we marry. Just stop and think about this for a moment. Think about the family you grew up in, or you are growing up in, what you think about when you think about them. Some of us may have thoughts of frustration, or anger, or pain, or shame, or guilt. Others may go to thoughts of regret or sadness. Others of us might go to happiness and thankfulness. But whatever we feel when we think of our families, those feelings will have an impact on our lives. Our families will have shaped us for good or for bad. Now, I'm aware that this area that we're talking about today is a sensitive one for many people and will cover some sensitive topics. And we will come at this from different perspectives. Some of us may find these topics very easy to think about. Others may find them very difficult. Some of us may have had very difficult family experiences in our past, or we're living through them right now. For others, family life has always been good. Some of us have large families, others small. Some are parents, some are not. Some live at home with family members, others don't. My hope for us this morning is that we'll all be challenged, whatever kind of family situation we find ourselves in we'll all find something to reflect on, to think about, and that helps us. And we're going to look at this subject this morning in three parts. Firstly, we're going to talk about what we mean by a family. Then we're going to look at what can cause family struggles, like the ones we saw in those medias. And finally, we're going to look at how we can build healthy families. And as I said, no matter what your family situation or how sensitive a subject this is for you, I hope you'll find something useful. Now, we need to start by defining what we mean about, by a family. And I wonder what you think of when you think of the word family. Maybe you think about mum, dad, children. That's perhaps the image that many would have in their minds when we think of the word family, parents and children. But actually, the truth is, families are far more complicated than that. And in the last 50 years or so, and particularly as we've gone into a new millennium, life in the 21st century, family life has changed. Families are much more complicated now than just parents and children. 
life in the 21st century is complex, is characterised by more complex family situations. It's one of the ways life has changed. I can illustrate this by using my own dad as an example. You see, my dad, for the first 21 years of my life, family would have been really easy for him. If you'd asked him to define family, he would have said, yes, it's me, my wife, and my two children, of which I was one. So it was me, uh, my sister, dad, and mum. That would have been very simple. But then family life got more complicated for him. His children moved away to college and jobs. His wife died and family became a lot less straightforward. Then his children, me and my sister, began to have long-term relationships and bring home future wives and husbands. And so now family was a bit more complicated. Then he married again. And the lady that he married had two children of her own, grown-up children, also with partners and with children. So then we all start to have children of our own, and my dad ends up in this really complicated, it's great, but very complicated family situation. My dad today has a son, a daughter, a son-in-law, a daughter-in-law, a, step, a stepson, a stepdaughter, a stepdaughter-in-law, a stepson-in-law, four granddaughters, two step-grandsons, and one step-granddaughter. That's very complicated. And even just knowing what to call him gets difficult. See, what do his step-grandsons call him? They've already got two grandpas, and then there's him. What should they call him? Well, in fact, they call him Choo Choo Mick, because his name's Mick and he's got a model railway. And they love it, so they call him Choo Choo Mick. And actually, I think that's more special for him, actually, that they've created a special name for him. It means a lot to him. Now, a couple of years ago, he rewrote his will. I mean, how does he do that? How complicated is that? And we haven't even begun to mention his extended family, his own stepbrother and two stepsisters, who in turn have sons and daughters and grandchildren. He is an uncle, a great-uncle, a stepbrother, a brother-in-law, a cousin, and so on and so on and so on. He could go on forever. I used to think family was easy. But it's not, is it? It's very complicated. Now, don't get me wrong, it's great, and we all get along really well, and we have these great family gatherings at Christmas and in the summer when all of us are there, but it is complicated. And I think that's true for many of us. Families today are complicated. We have single-parent families, two-parent families, three- and even four-parent families. We have nuclear families, extended families, large families, small families. Where are you in this complicated pattern? Think for a moment about the roles that you take on. Son, daughter, mother, father, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, grandparents, stepmom, stepdad, and so on. What roles do you have? Whatever your roles are, I want us to think carefully about this this morning. And I want us to think how we can be better at those roles. And maybe this is the first useful thing for us this morning. Just thinking about the different roles that we function in that might help us. Just thinking about the roles might clarify what we should be doing in our family situations. And all of us are a part of a family. Whether we're a son, a daughter, a mum, a dad, a brother, a sister, whatever. Maybe you've never thought how complicated it all is. And therefore how seriously you need to think about it. Now in a moment we're going to think about how families struggle. And how we might avoid those struggles. But before we do, our band here are going to play a song for us. Again about families that are struggling. So how does it come to be that a family struggles? 
whatever kind of family relationship we're talking about, whether it's like that between a mum and dad and children, or, or whether it's between brothers and sisters, whether it's between grown-up adults, whether it's between children, grown-up children and their parents, how is it that families come to struggle? Well, that's what we're going to look at right now. And we've talked a lot in this series about life in the 21st century, about this guy called Paul, who was one of Jesus' first followers 2,000 years ago. And we've talked about how he travelled around starting new churches and how he wrote letters to those churches. And I want to read to you a bit of one of those letters, which I think is really valuable on our subject today. Paul was writing to a bunch of people called the Colossians, lived in a place called Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey, that was an agricultural town 2,000 years ago and was well-known around the world in Paul's day. And at one point... Paul says this in his letter to them. This is going to come up on the screen. He says, Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any one of you has grievance against you. Forgive as God forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Now, when a family struggles, I think there are two main reasons or areas that causes a family to struggle. And I think Paul alludes to them here. The first one is that we struggle because we're human. That's what Paul's saying about our earthly nature. We're human. We struggle with being human sometimes. And sometimes our human nature means that we're overtaken by unhealthy practices and desires. Paul gives some examples, greed, selfishness, lust, and so on. And when those things are present, relationships and families struggle. There's a a book I like, and the title is what I like best about it, and the book's called Everyone's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. I think that's really true, isn't it? You think everybody else is normal and you're the odd one until you get to know them and you realise actually they're just as odd as you are. Maybe in different ways, but just as odd. Everybody's normal until you get to know them. What that means is every human being has things about them in our nature that can cause difficulties, that can cause relationships and families to struggle. Human beings are slightly odd. Everyone's slightly weird. People like different things, do different things in different ways, react to different situations differently. And it's great that we're all different. It's great that we're human. I mean, life would be very monochrome if that were not the case. But it does make it difficult sometimes to exist in relationships. You only have to watch one of those reality TV shows where people have to live together, Big Brother, I'm a Celebrity, any one of those programs, to know just how much living together with people is difficult. And oftentimes those people are only together for very short periods of time, relatively speaking, on those TV programs. What hope is there for a family that's supposed to be together for a number of years? The first reason why we struggle is because we're human. And we all suffer sometimes from our human or earthly desires. Back to, to Paul and when he wrote about what it meant to exist in the family. The next thing he said, apart from our earthly desires... He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. 
I think the second reason why families sometimes struggle is because one, some, or all of these things have gone missing. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. Some, or all of them, have gone missing. I think this is a great checklist to be looking at when you're thinking about your own family. How are we doing on this? And of course, this needs to start with us. We need to be checking ourselves first. How am I doing on these things? Because you see, the truth is about these things, they're really easy to spot in other people. They're really easy to spot in other members of your family. It's really easy to say to your partner or your parent or your child, you're not being very kind or gentle or forgiving. It's much more difficult to spot these in ourselves. But often it's in ourselves where the real issues lie. So we need to ask ourselves, how am I doing on being compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient? How am I doing on bearing with other people, being tolerant of them? And how am I doing on forgiveness? Because if we're all human, and we're all slightly odd, and we all make mistakes from time to time, forgiveness is key. So how am I doing? How are we doing on these things? Because when they're lacking or missing in us or somebody else, our family struggles. Are we doing as well with this as we should be? Let's watch another clip together. So how can we build healthy families? That's what we're going to talk about next. Talk about why sometimes families struggle. How can we build healthy families? How can we avoid some of the struggles that we've looked at, listened to, talked about this morning? How can we build things into our family life that help us to ensure that positive things are happening. Well, I've come up again with with Paul's help, this guy we've been talking about this morning who wrote this letter. With his help, I've come up with a list of what I think are six traits of a healthy family. Six things I think might help us to avoid some of those struggles. And I'm sure that there are others, there are probably others that you can think of, but I offer these to you this morning as a guide. See what you think. The first one is this. Great families show unconditional love to one another. One of the things that uh, Paul says in that letter, once he's described all these virtues of compassion and kindness and humility and, and all that kind of stuff, he says, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Over all these things, put on love. And it was really interesting in that clip, did you hear what the, the nanny said? She said, there's only so long that this little boy will continue to love you unconditionally. And clearly what's happening in that situation is the parents are not returning love unconditionally. Great families show unconditional love to one another. In a great family, life-giving love is given and received and is spread lavishly around to each member of the family, regardless of age or sex or how clever we are or how attractive we are, We are loved unconditionally. Love is given and received unconditionally in a great family. This kind of love is not syrupy, squishy kind of love, nor is it dependent or controlling kind of love. It's not a performance or achievement-based kind of love that exhausts those who are trying to earn it. It's not the kind of love that's somehow based in sharing each other with expensive gifts, toys and presents. It's the kind of love that is shown day in and day out in the normal pattern of life, in the way the family functions, in the everyday things. 
It's the kind of love that is demonstrated with support and care and listening, understanding, discipline and respect. In a great family, unconditional love is given and received. The second trait of great families, I think, is that they teach responsibility. Paul goes on, right after talking about love, to say, to say this. Let the message of Jesus dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Perhaps a better way to put it is that great families instill a sense of responsibility in each other. Great families teach and admonish each other with wisdom. Great families teach life lessons all the time so that the people within those families know some basic life skills. I never realised until I left home just how much my parents had taught me, oftentimes through just observing them. My mother made the best roast potatoes. And through just observing her every Sunday making great roast potatoes, I learnt to make a good roast potato. And actually, that is one of life's most important lessons, I think, making great roast potatoes. There are other lessons that great families teach as well. Managing finances, handling responsibility, respect for other people, meeting commitments, working hard, enjoying family time, building great relationships, and so on and so forth. And for the Christian, this would include modelling a great relationship with God, a great spiritual life. This would include that too. That in great families, they teach each other about God. They model a great spiritual life. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, I want to say to you, this is something you need to take very seriously in your family. And this is something we're going to do all we can as a church to help you with. That's why our children's work and our youth work is so important to us. It's why our children's work model exactly the same things that we're about as adults in the church family, looking after and caring for the poor and the needy, respecting one another, growing together in our relationship with God, inviting those who don't yet know God to come and hear about his love. Our children model all those things, and very often they do a better job than we do at it. So great families teach responsibility, teach and admonish each other. The third trait is that great families celebrate together. Celebrate together. Paul goes on to say... And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Great families celebrate together. They play together. They have time together where nothing else gets in the way. And this isn't just about parents with children. This is about grown-up children with their parents. This is about brothers and sisters. This is about all kinds of family relationships. This is about a married couple as well, having time to spend celebrating together, being together. Time together where nothing else gets in the way. Some time ago, Ruth, my wife, and I spent a day on the beach with our girls, and I couldn't help but notice a couple of families who were just next to us on the beach. Throughout the day, mum or dad could be seen walking up and down on the beach with their mobile phones stuck to their ears. And they were talking to their work. You could overhear some of their conversation and they were talking to their offices or their work. See, that is not a family celebrating and playing together. That is a family pretending to play together. If you set aside time for your family and you spend it with your mobile phone to your ear or your laptop on your lap, you are not having great family time. 
The people that you're with, be they your children or your other half or your brothers or your sisters or as you're a grown-up person, your parents will notice that they do not have your full and undivided attention. They will notice and they will learn something from that. That there are other things more important at that moment to you than them. When great families celebrate together, nothing gets in the way of that. It is the most important thing. Great families celebrate together. The fourth trait is uh, uh, illustrated for us by another clip, the last clip today, that they want us to watch from a film called Cheaper by the Dozen. Let's watch this. The fourth trait is that great families recognise the importance of each member. They understand that sometimes their needs have to be put to one side for the needs of the other members of the family. And that's what was happening in that clip as the the dad of these 12 children puts aside his dreams and his desires for the sake of the other members of his family, recognising that he is not the most important person in his family. They're all important. And he needs it. What he's doing compromises them to put aside his needs for them. There's a a slightly uh, controversial bit in, in this letter that Paul's writing, I'm going to read it to you now, and it it goes like this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. It's controversial because of that first bit. Wives, submit to your husbands. The, The problem is that often that one little bit is ripped out of its context. And sadly, it's been used by churches and Christians to subjugate women and to say somehow that they are second-class citizens. Over the years, it's been used to do that. It's incredibly dangerous to do that with the Bible, to rip a bit out and use it to justify certain behaviours. The Bible is full of stuff about the mutual importance and value of men and women and how they are equal in every way. When that sentence is placed in its proper context and read with the other sentences around and about it, it makes much more sense. We have to look at the whole of what Paul is saying. Because that sentence, why submit to your husbands, is coupled with another sentence. In the same way it says, children obey your parents, that is coupled with another sentence. Because what it actually says is, wives submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything. Fathers, do not embitter your children. These come as partners, these verses. You have to look at the whole of what Paul is saying. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. A loving husband will never ask his wife to do something only out of the fact that she should submit to him. He will never do that because that is not loving. Similarly, he will never ask her to do something that she doesn't want to do, she's not comfortable with, and goes beyond who she is made to be. That is not loving. This is about mutual submission and love. It is about, in a family relationship, how there needs to be mutual submission. Elsewhere, when Paul is writing about marriage, he says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. This is about mutual submission and love, not a one-way thing. And the same is true with children. Children obey your parents, but parents do not embitter your children. You see the partnership. Great families recognise the importance and the role of each member. 
husbands, wives, children, parents, so on. And they submit to each other and they love each other. Great families recognize the importance of each member and there is mutual submission and love between them. Fifth thing, great families communicate well with one another and communication means listening as well as talking. Healthy families find opportunities to listen to one another, opportunities that are not interrupted by other stuff. What is that time for your family? Be that again as a parent with children or be that as a grown-up child with your parents, be it with brothers or sisters or whomever. For different families, it will be different times, but we need to find it. Now, we're not always very good at this in our family, but one thing we do try to do, and it doesn't always work, is we try not to answer the phone between half past five in the evening and seven o'clock. That's family time. That's tea time, bath, story, and bedtime. And the phone can wait. Similarly, we have to make time in our week to speak to our parents, who we live apart from now. Both Ruth and I will do this. Make time each week for a conversation with our parents where we're not distracted, it's just talking to them. We need to find the opportunities to really listen to one another, to find ways that there is open communication in our families, and that needs time, and that needs time that we spend just with them. The sixth and final trait, great families seek help when they need it. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, no one's family can hang a sign that says, nothing the matter here. No one's family can hang a sign that says nothing the matter here, i.e. every family struggles sometimes. And sometimes we need help. Every family struggles, no matter how good it is. Sometimes the help can be very small things, like needing a babysitter so that people can go out and get some time together. Sometimes it can be practical support when things are tough. Sometimes it may be someone to listen and to help us through specific problems. A healthy family is not too scared or too proud to ask for help when they need it. They recognise that family is much too important for fear or pride to get in the way. And we hope here at the church that we can provide a supportive community for families. It's one of the things we want to be able to do. So great families seek help when they need it. So there we are, six traits of healthy families. I want to challenge you today, just now in in a moment, to look at that list And whatever family situation you're in, whatever type of family or extended family you're a part of, I want you to look at the list and I want to challenge you with it. And I want you to identify one or two things where you need to grow, where you need to do better. Whatever the role is, look at the list and ask yourself, what could I do better to help that family that I'm part of grow in its health and vitality as a family? Maybe you could talk these through with other members of your family and ask other people how you're doing on these. What could you do better? Building a healthy family is just too important to do nothing. So we're going to pray together. In fact, Sue, we'll just go back to that list. Is that all right? Thank you. We're going to pray together. What I'm going to do is just allow a moment of quiet for us to look at this list, identify which are the one or two things that you need to do better for you and your family to grow healthier. And then I'll pray about that. So, Father God, right now, we each have one or two things in our mind from this list that we recognise, whatever our family situation, whatever our circumstance, that we need to do better to help 
that family grow healthier. And Lord God, as we think about these things, I pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to make changes, to do better, to follow some of the guidance we've heard from Paul this morning about building healthy families. Father God, I pray that you just come on each of us in the power of your spirit to give us the strength and the courage to make the changes we need to make. I pray you'd give us each what we need to do to be a part of and build great and healthy families. And we recognise we all need to do better at this. And so we all need your help. Father God, we recognise the truth of what we talked about earlier, that we are all human and that our human nature means we mess this up from time to time. We recognise that actually we're all a bit broken. And actually what we need at the heart is you. Uh, And what we need is you, what we need is Jesus to help us live a better family life. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.